0: Hey brothers and sisters, I want
1: us to go ahead and start. Um, If we we don't start, we're just going to train the culture of uh, everybody coming at, you know, later. Some people can't be here by 9-15, and I understand that. So, (coughs) good to see everyone. Um, Just a word of sincere appreciation to Tim for uh, having taught last week. It was my um, privilege to listen to it, all of it, and um, I I did it while I was taking a walk last night, very quiet, and um, I kept thinking that information that he shared with you so helpfully is what our high school students and college students desperately need. I don't know if that occurred to you there's a sense in which his class was apologetic, that is, defense of the Christian faith. Our young people, uh, when they go off, particularly to the secular university, uh, sooner or later, in one course or another, will hear again how uh, foolish it is to believe in the supernatural and to believe in a in an ancient book called the Bible and to build your life around that. And they'll go on to, of course, make clear that the Bible is full of errors. It's just a bunch of traditions. Um, it's certainly not infallible or inspired. So, hey, would somebody be sure that those two doors are closed too? Maybe they are. It just seems louder than normal. I'd like them all closed. So anyway, yeah, Gary? a quick question. Sure.
2: You said you to the Yeah. Really, did not miss
1: that recording be available? It's absolutely, it will soon be available, sitting right here in front of me, is a tiny little voice recorder, which did a great job. And and yes, uh, Dave is going to graciously take this morning's lesson, as well as, do you know Dave Reed? I've seen him around. You've seen him around. You ought to think about hiring a guy like that. He could probably he could probably sell some lights for you. a
0: guy like that.
1: <laughs> right, a guy like him. <laughs> Good points out. <Al>. So, <laughs> Dave is going to transfer the data from these two recordings. We didn't get the first one recorded, but the it will be transferred. And what we're probably going to do, Gary, is just put it up online. So you just go to your computer. Uh, we'll give you a a link to it. It'll probably be on the church website, and there it is. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. it so. We're going to try to be, I'm recording right now, so I know that it's on. So anyway, a big thanks to Tim, and not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, he will be teaching again, and he'll probably teach frequently, and it could be that we'll pull a couple of other guys in from time to time, but uh, Tim is definitely my main assistant for this class, and I thought, wow, he could be teaching in a Bible college anywhere with that kind of uh, helpful knowledge and ability to communicate so that's my genuine word of appreciation now I would like you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to one of the texts that our author uh, suggested it's Deuteronomy chapter 30 in a few moments we will read a, a few verses in that I hope you look at those when you read your chapter there's a reason why Dr. Allison chooses these texts. So, as you look them up, and there's never more than five or six, ask yourself okay, wait a minute, what is this really supporting what he's teaching in this chapter? See the connection. I'll assure you there's a connection between the texts he chooses and the truths he's opening up for us. So, one of them comes from Deuteronomy. Chapter Thirty, and uh, we'll we'll see it in just a moment. But let's ask the Lord's help and presence with us, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the privilege of studying these things together. And as always, we ask that the knowledge we obtain will be life-transforming; that it will bolster our faith; that it will equip us to better defend. The Christian faith. So we thank you for the author and for his ministry as one of the pastors of a church in Louisville. But we pray now that uh, you, who are the author of Scripture, will be our helper today. Teach us and make this a blessing to us, Lord. We don't want to just be academics. We do believe in academics, but we want the truths that we come to understand in our minds to go down to our hearts and to literally change the way that we live. So bless us today. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you know by the title of today's chapter that our subject is the authority of Scripture We've had a chapter on the inspiration of Scripture, and we've had a chapter on the truthfulness of Scripture, which I hope you'll always sort of quickly say, that's inerrancy, isn't it? Most systematic theologians simply call it the inerrancy of Scripture. I like that word, but I see why uh, Dr. Allison chose the word truthfulness. It's very accessible. That's a word that immediately tells us that there can't be any errors in the Bible. It's absolutely true. If there were any errors, it wouldn't be true. So he's helpfully chosen to entitle this the truthfulness of Scripture, but be aware of the term inerrancy. It means no errors in the Bible. So we've seen those two things, inspiration, truthfulness, and now today we're going to focus our attention upon the authority of the Word of God. So, I think what I will do today, and it's closely related to the way he's developed this in the chapter, I want to ask and answer three questions. And my questions are very simple. They're number one, what is the authority of Scripture? What is, what does that mean? The authority of Scripture. The second question is, Where does that authority of Scripture come from? What is that authority rooted in so that it's truly authoritative? Simple questions, aren't they? What is it? Where does it come from? And my last question is even more uh, simple and practical, and that is, what difference should it make in our lives? I noticed last week that Tim use the words, hopefully, and we should do this in every class. So what? Okay, now I get the authority of scripture. So what? Is it really supposed to make a difference in my life? And of course the answer is a resounding yes. So there's my outline. Now actually, if you look at his chapter carefully, or even not so carefully, I think you'll see that he answers the first two questions under understanding. I, I, love, his, uh, I love his outline, and, and this week, again, I just said, does he do this in every chapter? And every chapter, he does exactly the same thing. He has a summary of the doctrine. He has the main themes. He has the key scriptures. And then big Roman numeral one is understanding the doctrine we have to first understand it he has major affirmations and he has biblical support and he has major errors we always need to see truth against error and then he goes to his second main point and that is enacting the doctrine so under roman numeral one well that's what i put in my Textbook understanding the doctrine he answers question one that I'm posing today. What is the authority of Scripture and he actually answers? Where does it come from? That's my second question and then under enacting of course. He's answering what difference should it make? so appreciate that and read the whole chapter Always, and make sure you also look at the perennial questions in, in today 's chapter they're on page twenty nine and problematical issues usually it 's um, the kinds of questions that infidels and unbelievers ask people who don 't like this doctrine usually that 's what those questions are so let's go let 's go to my questions today question number one what is the authority of scripture. And uh, Dr. Allison <clears throat> answers it actually there on page 23 under summary. just want to take a look at that for a moment, page 23, summary. And I'm just going to make that first bullet point a little simpler. I think it's, I'm making it a little simpler. I would define authority this way, but you'll see that's what he's done. Is It is the right of Scripture, we're talking about what is the authority of Scripture. It is the right to command, and we should not be apologetic about the word command, to command two broad categories. One, what we are to believe, and two, how we are to live. So the authority of the Scripture is its Right to command, if you want to say to dictate, to demand, whatever words you want to use, I'm comfortable with command. The right to command two things. One, what we must believe, not just should believe, but what we must believe, and how we should live. Those are two broad categories, aren't they? What do you believe, and how do you live? And the authority of Scripture addresses both of those uh, categories. Hey, uh, Joe, go get me a paper towel so that I can wipe the sweat off my brow. <laughs> I should have a I should have a handkerchief with me. My little fan, look at this. Here it is. Ted, was that a command? <laughs> that was a command. <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Joe. Um, I love this little deal right sir, here. Sir, sir. Uh, appreciate it, Mr. Military. Uh, I should fold that up and not look so uncouth. But again, most of you know that I'm taking a medicine that causes these things. And some days I don't have many, and some days I have 30 or 40 of them on the same day. But, when I sit on the first row of church, I often pull this thing out it oh, 's just wonderful I wish, I wish you all could feel what i 'm feeling right now and um, for a quarter can you' you felt it you know oh can i can I relate to women can I relate to I have a whole new appreciation for what my wife and many of you women have gone through. Um, so anyway, those are the two questions. What must we believe? And how should we live in light of the authority of Scripture? So let's just, um, let's go actually quickly to the second question that I want to ask today. I mean, That's just a simple answer for what is, what is, the authority of scripture. It's its right to command. Just fix that in your head. This book has a right to command what I believe and what I must not believe. And how I should live and how I must not live. That's what the authority, that's what we mean by the authority of Scripture. But I want to quickly come to the second question, and that is, where does this authority come from? Now, I think that that all of you, probably without exception, if your your life depended on it, or even if it didn't depend on it, could answer that question. But I'll just go ahead and throw it out and ask someone to give me a three-letter word answer to... It starts with the letter G, capital G. Okay, you all know this authority comes from God Himself. But I want you to appreciate in a new and fresh way. We all know that, we all believe, I trust, that the Bible was inspired by God. Chapter 1. Supernaturally inspired. And we were reminded of the mystery that that the men wrote with their unique personalities and experiences, and yet, and with their minds, they weren't, you know, passive and just somehow God took over their hand and they wrote. And when they were done, wow, look at that. I, no, they were thinking Paul's sitting in a prison and he's writing to churches and he knows what he wants to say. But God is so supernaturally uh, overseeing the process, that Paul ends up writing exactly what God wanted him to say. Right down to, as Tim made so clear last week, to the jot and the tettles, the tiniest marks. So it's a mystery. It's the sovereignty of God over the mind of biblical authors, which so guided them that they ended up saying exactly what God wanted them to say. So who wrote the Bible, Paul or God? Who wrote Romans, Paul or God? Yes, Yes, they both wrote. (laughs) Holy men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Is it a mystery? Yes, is it supernatural? Yes. But what we need to appreciate is that if God wrote this book, and superintended its writing, and God is behind every word, then how could it not have authority? It's God who has the right, and God alone who has the right to command what we believe and how we live. So the authority of God's word, and this is a little more of a technical word, okay, I'm trying to be sophisticated, is intrinsic to the scriptures. Intrinsic just means it belongs to something naturally. It's part of its essence. If I give you a a perfectly ripened, but not too ripe, of a peach. You hold it to your nose and it just smells good. And when you take a bite out of this juicy peach, there's this wonderful sweetness and taste that is unique to that peach. You know what? The aroma and the flavor and the taste are intrinsic to the peach. It's in its essence. Sweetness is in the essence of the peach, and so is its unique taste. Those two things are intrinsic to it. They are part of the essence of that fruit. And so when it comes to the authority of the scriptures, because God was the one who authored its every word Authority is intrinsic to the word because it's God's word. And when you put it that way, doesn't it make sense that God's word has the right to command what we should believe and how we should live? Because at the end of the day, it's God. God himself is part of this. So you can't separate the godness of the Bible from its authority. Now, when we use the word intrinsic, I'll give you an illustration. Do you as a parent have the right to command your children to do what is right? You don't have the right to command them to do something sinful, but let's just think now. The analogy breaks down a little bit, but it still works because we're not God as parents. But if somebody said, How dare you tell your child when they should go to bed and to brush their teeth and to make their bed or to stop doing that, son? How dare you do that? What are you going to say? You say, I'm his parent. I'm his parent. I'm over him. I had a part in bringing him into the world. He's under my authority. As what? As a parent. Well, on a human level, that's true. But think of this. This is God's word. So obviously, God's word always has the right to tell us what we should believe. So when it comes to the whole issue, let's just say for example, of sexuality and gender, which is a huge, huge, terribly distressing issue in our day, where is the culture headed? What is happening? And you and I have the audacity to tell people, no, God made human beings male and female. God is the author of gender and sexuality. And he has the right, I'm not gonna say the audacity because it's not audacious for God to do that. He has the right to say men are to be men and women are to be women and men and women are to marry the opposite sex. That's just one of the issues of today. But we now, we, people ask us, how audacious of you to tell people that if they want to choose their gender, they can choose their gender. You're watching the news, you know what's going on. There are parents today who are falling for this whole philosophy of parenting that don't don't tell your children what their gender is. Don't let them get hung up on their plumbing. Their plumbing may be indicative of one thing, but they may actually in in their actual psyche be opposite sex let them become what they should become i mean it's crazy yeah jim i think that goes
0: back to what you're saying when you talk about the word of god with with god and the authority of the word of god i think the key is is right there is believing who is the authority an example would be like if tim's teaching his class and he's giving out directions and we'll I'll say it that he's doing it through a written way to kind of make it more like the scripture so tim does a handout and on the handout it says tonight i want you to read chapters 10 and answer these questions okay and the student looks at it he's got to believe that came from tim because if it's fellow student Wrote out this handout and said, "Tonight, I want you all to read chapter ten, answer these questions." He doesn't have the authority, so you take what he wrote and you kind of just toss it in the trash. You know, you're like, "I don't have to do that." (laughs) And the key is understanding that the scripture—what makes these words authoritative, like you said—is understanding. It's God's word, God is the authority. So the words in themselves are only authoritative because they come from God, because you can have someone else write these same words who has no authority and they would have no power. Right,
1: right. No, that's helpful. Um, But there are other, uh, but to, to push on the analogy, there are times that if in fact Tim writes it and he puts it on the board and he says, this is your assignment for tomorrow, read those pages. You have to read those pages Um, not in the same way you have to obey God, but he has authority over you as a teacher and it's intrinsic to his position. Didn't we all do stuff, Jim, where you like me that, and then I'll come to Joe, where you you write a note and it said, um, please, um, please see me after class. I want to confess that I cheated on a test. And you sign Jim Byrne, and then you slip it on the teacher's desk. Oh, I never cheated, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have to do that. But I know what you're, I get in my Oh, producing. man, we used you know, down at Bob Jones University, and there are several in this class that can relate to this. I mean, that that's an authoritarian situation. At least it used to be more than it is now. But um, I lived on the edge 365, 24 hours a day. And it's like that passage in the scripture, the 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 wicked flee when no man pursues. <laughs> oh, My conscience was always bothered. And my friend, Gary Seeley would say, hey, I just came from Dean Liverman's office. He's not even gonna take time to write out, what was it, a pink slip? What color was it when you had to meet? Pink. pink he said, don't look for the pink slip. I'm your messenger. He wants to see you right now. And I said, you're crazy, man. I know you're kidding me. And he would say, no, I'm serious. And then I would still tell him, no, you're kidding me. But inside I'm thinking, I'll bet he did, I'll bet he did. <laughs> and you know, there were times I went up to his office and had a secretary and said, did, did Mr. Liverman wanna see me or am I mistaken? And um, <laughs> I never knew when to do it, it was like Russian roulette because I lived on the edge. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was a false authority that told me to go see Dean Liverman, that's the point. Anyway, uh, appreciate please brothers and sisters that the that the unity of scripture and its author are such that there cannot be anything but absolute authority in the scriptures. Because the scriptures are so united to a person who has absolute authority. His name is God. Now, so if I said to you, this would be sort of a trick question, but it would also reveal what you know. Are, are scripture and God then identical? Any answers on that? No. There, who said no? Do you say no, Carla? Why are they not identical? Um. Well, for one, okay, can I help you? Uh. But I think this is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, this is what you're saying. Thing. Yeah. And so I say, hey folks, there's God right there. That's God. Is yeah. it really? I thought God was in the heavens. Can I worship then so I should I worship that if that's God? in the same way the book Tom Sawyer is not Mark Twain. Right. That's right. That's a good analogy. So, so they're in they're intrinsically joined and the authority of scripture comes from its author and they're inseparable, particularly the authority of scripture and God, but they're not identical. So, that's that's basically the answer to Question number two, isn't it? But since I asked us to turn to Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah Dave, go ahead. Uh, one Is the King James
0: only group kind of blurring that line? What do
1: you say? Is the King James translation, King James only people um, sort of blurring that line? Um, you know, you'd have to talk to each person. I've never met a fundamentalist who was willing to say that the Bible is God. But I'll tell you what they do, and, and Tim touched on this last week. On Someone, who, who asked the question about translation last week? Rich. Rich, yeah. It was a good question. And Tim helped us understand the difference between um, dynamic equivalence and exact equivalence and so forth. Uh, the, the sad thing about King James only people is that they don't believe other Bibles have authority. And they think it's the translation that makes it so authoritative. But I've never met a fundamentalist of that sort who was willing to say that the Bible and God are identical. So that, that's how i Donna? Donna? How would you explain John
2: 1.1 to someone? Okay.
1: Well, let's turn there for a moment. And I'll let you do that. John 1.1, it's a great text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word by the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How I would explain that is that John is not talking about the Bible. He's talking about the Son of God. The Word became flesh. This thing hasn't become flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I think that, that's how I would answer that. But it, it's a great passage on the deity of Christ. So, but since you've raised a the question, then let's not make. Let's be sure that we distinguish between the Word uh, being the Son of God. The Word was made flesh, and this. So there's the Word of God, and then there's the second Person of God, who in a unique way was capital W Word. That's a great name for our Savior, isn't it? Because He came to be. Um, the prophet of the church and he came to teach us and to represent the trinity and to speak with authority. So, anyway, that's how I would that's how that's I'd answer I it. Okay, yeah. Joe, sorry, you raised your hand a while ago. A minute ago Thank was, you. I'm uh, glad you were asked again. Please. I, I was just
2: going to say that, you know, uh, we were talking about parents as an analogy for parenting and stuff like that. Uh, parents have authority, at least in their own households and with their own children because the children believe that that we have authority. And the reason they believe we have authority is because there are consequences to the actions that Mm -hmm. they
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have. And
2: so there's truth there. There's truth in the authority.
1: And they know it's true because there are consequences
2: by disobeying that authority.
1: And so just like in the word, people know that God is true, his
2: word is true, this is the word of God, not God, but the word of God, right? And yeah. so it's breathed out by God, and we know that we can rely on that as being true, because we, we for many reasons, only believers are gonna acknowledge that this word is true. Yeah. But even if they don't acknowledge it, even the people who don't acknowledge it, it's still true because the results yeah. of the prophecies and everything that He has said throughout scripture reveals the truth. About who he is and they the do. authority that he has, and so whether or not you believe or don't believe, the truth is there, and there are consequences to not believing that his
1: words. Yeah, good. that's a good point. And so, with regard to parents, the analogy can it can break down because um, you're still authoritative with whether they agree with you or not. And we need to have this high view of the Bible. The Bible is as as authoritative over unbelievers as it is over Christians. That's kind of the point Joe's making. You all clear on that? It's not just authoritative for Christians. It's authoritative for creatures because it's a God-inspired book. And there are some people find by not living according to its consequences that the Bible is true. Some, probably some Christian testimonies even here would verify that, that I live so contrary to the word of God. And my parents told me and, and I paid the price. And eventually I concluded, you know what, God's word must be true because all this is happening to me. So sometimes the consequences can lead you to the persuasion that the Bible is the word of God. But it's, it's authoritative whether you recognize it or not. And this might be a good time for me to use one of my favorite illustrations and... I know that you have heard me say this before because I say it in different contexts from time to time. But when you are defending the Christian faith with an unbeliever, and they say, you know, the problem with you is that you believe the Bible is supernaturally inspired and has authority. I don't believe that for a minute. It's made by a whole bunch of different authors, it has mistakes in it, it's got religious p- biases, biases, etc., etc. etc. I'm sorry. Don't waste your time quoting the Bible to me. What are you gonna do? Oh, Okay, I'm. I'm sorry. I won't quote it anymore. I'll just try to use my reason. I hope my reason will somehow persuade you. It's a, it's a, it's a history, it's, that's an offense, right? Yeah, that's true. They still have a truth that they're no. Yeah, they've got their own authority. Everybody has an authority. Everybody has an epistemology, a theory of knowledge. But my my illustration comes from a dear, a Christian apologist, Greg Bonson, who died at the age of 48, on on. an operation table on a table, open heart surgery. I've listened to a lot of them. Uh, How many of you guys know, have heard of Greg Bonson? I know Larry has, because Larry's taught apologetics. Did you ever have him as a teacher when you were at Westminster? Greg Bonson? No,
0: but I was there when he spoke for a chapel.
1: More than anyone else, that man has helped me with regard to the subject of apologetics, but he gives the illustration of, maybe I even used this the first week we, we had this class, but he gives the illustration of a woman getting out of her office late at night, New York City, has to go down to the parking garage, it's kind of scary, there aren't that many lights, there are concrete pillars all over the place, and she wants to get to her car as quickly as possible, and before she gets there, A guy jumps out behind a pillar with a switchblade knife and says, Give me your purse or I'm gonna kill you. And she says, Okay, please. And she opens her purse and she pulls out a pistol and she points it at him. And she says, One step closer, and I'm gonna fire this thing. And he says, I don't believe in guns. I don't believe in guns. She's going to say, oh, oh, okay, then I'll put it back in my purse and I I won't use it. If you don't believe in guns, it's not going to do any good. No, you're going to pull the trigger. And when you're dealing with non-Christians who don't believe the Bible, don't ever cower and say, well, I guess I can't use the scripture because I don't believe they're inspired. But the, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit, not to those who believe. The word of God is The sword of the spirit. Talk to any unbeliever. Talk to any atheist. Use the word of God. Don't trust in your arguments. Don't go home and and even thank God for the great arguments and illustrations he gave you. Get on your knees and say, God, I didn't do very well. I wish I could have done better. I wasn't thinking as clearly as I should have, but I did quote your word. And I reminded them of the truth of your word. Lord, bless them your word and cause it to be the sword. Holy Spirit, use it as a sword in my friend and keep quoting the word of God. So we have that because you see the authority of the word of God is intrinsic to the scriptures because God is its author. That's the main point. So we still haven't read Isaiah 30, but let's just notice these these words here. And you see where God and I speak facetiously now, God has the audacity. Actually I think it's through Moses. I think Moses the one who's talking. I don't I don't know why I said did I say Isaiah thirty? Sorry, you all know I'm talking about Deuteronomy. I saw you poking your wife. At he thinks it's he thinks it's Isaiah. Okay. Deuteronomy thirty, verse fifteen. See and if you go back, I think you'll conclude that this is Moses talking as God's representative and, and as the great prophet of the people of Israel, and Moses was prophetic. And I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm fired up about something uh, going off on a little excursion here. We must pray for our pastor who is in Romania, and right now it's, you know, like, let's see, if it's 10, 11, 12, two five, it's five in the morning. And he'll be worshiping and they'll probably be watching our service later. But anyway, how'd I get off on that? Oh, that this series on Joseph has been so good. And one of the things that Pastor Mark has brought out repeatedly, 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 is that there's a greater Joseph to come. There's a greater, there's a greater preserver of the people of God. And I went to him toward the end of the series is Mark. When this is done, maybe not immediately, but would you, would you consider, prayerfully consider, picking up the narrative in Exodus where Moses is born and he becomes the great deliverer of his people. And Moses, even more clearly and distinctly than Joseph, becomes a type of Christ. And Pharaoh is a type of the devil, and Moses, with the blessing of God, leads the children of Israel out of bondage into the, well, because of unbelief, into the wilderness, but ultimately into the the promised land. That's what our greater Moses will do. It's just beautiful. So he's agreed. And that, that's going to be, I think, a wonderful series. But we wanted to have a little interlude. And so we, we heard last week. I was away. We got to hear Pastor Keith's excellent sermon. And this morning, Pastor Thad preaches. Next Sunday, Pastor Keith. Maddie preaches. The next Sunday, the next Sunday, I preach. And then Pastor Mark will be back, and we're going to go through 1 John. All that was free. Nothing to charge for that. So, verse 15. See, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, see that's what it is. It's authority to command what we are to believe and how we are to live. If you do this, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going to over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Moses is speaking as a mediator, but he's speaking for God. See the authority. And Moses got his authority from God. God. And all the writers of the New Testament got their authority from God because he was superintending their writings. So the authority of Scripture is intrinsic because of God. It's in the Scriptures. And that's what I want us to understand where the authority comes from. Any questions about that before I go to my last question today? Uh, we can have a little discussion. We've got a moment or two for that. Um, I put this up here. I, I just—I think I would have forgotten if I didn't turn around and see this. But you know, our first lesson was on um, the inspiration of Scripture. So uh, the authority of Scripture, and I, I just put a different color in here. So this is what we're seeing right now. Okay, I'm going to put it in two places. So the reason why the Bible is authoritative is because it's of its inspiration. I guess I'll do this just to really hammer the point home. Now it's going to go backward. Okay, but you get the idea. The authority... Is rooted in the inspiration which comes from God. And out of it, out of this flows what Tim talked about last week, and that is truthfulness. Really, really what I should have done, I don't like what I did here. I'm gonna do something different. See you can't do that with a can't do that with a slide. That you put up. <laughs> Writing with a piece of chalk or a thing is more dynamic than slides. I've been trying to tell that to Pastor Keith and Tim, they don't get it. <laughs> it's because I wouldn't if you paid me a thousand dollars, I wouldn't know how to make one of those things. So let's do it this way. Inspiration. This is the this is really what I want to say. Out of inspiration flows. Truthfulness, and as we're seeing today, out of inspiration flows authority. And it's not the other way around. What makes the Bible truthful? God. He is truth. He cannot lie. And Tim did say that too. There's a few things God can't do, right? don't get off on those stupid questions like can he make a rock so big that he couldn't pick it up the bible tells us there's three things god can't do he can't lie he can't deny himself and uh i can't think what the other one is right now he can't forget huh? he can't give his glory to another that's a good one i wasn't actually thinking about this so there might be four thanks jim so <clears throat> the fact is that truthfulness Flows out of inspiration, and authority flows out of inspiration. And guess what? We're going to see next week. We're going to see that is it sufficiency? Is that the next one? I think so. I just, yes, it is. It's a sufficiency. The sufficiency of Scripture comes out of so all the. And that's why I went back to my analogy here. I'm, I know my tremble, but I do this. <coughs> Okay, the tree of inspiration produces truthfulness and today we're seeing authority. My point is real simple. They flow out of and they exist and they are because of inspiration. If the Bible wasn't supernaturally inspired, would it really have, would it it really be pure truth? No. If the Bible wasn't supernaturally inspired, would it really have authority? No. If the Bible wasn't supernaturally inspired, would it really be sufficient? No. So appreciate that, okay? So those are a couple of concepts. The, intrinsic, the authority of the Bible is intrinsic to it because of its author. All right, real quickly now, and I think I can, yeah, we can do this. Here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. And I think I'll throw out a question. I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six so what's. Well, I wonder what some of your so-whats are. So my question to you would be, okay, the Bible is absolutely authoritative over my life, over your life. It, it not only has the right to command, it has exercised that right. The Bible tells you, what you should believe, and how you should live. Okay? We're in agreement on that, I trust. So you have that, I'm going to call it a high view of Scripture. You start with believing that, because the Bible teaches it, that it's inspired, and that it's without error, and now we're thinking today about it's authoritative. And so my simple question is to you, what difference should that make in your life? How does your view of the authority of Scripture influence your life? Yeah, Paul.
2: I read Scripture. I turned from Roman Catholicism. That absolutely changed my mind.
1: Because you believe the Bible to be the Word of God.
2: The Bible over anything
1: else. Yeah, and and you must have also believed this. I bet you believe this, somehow. But but you didn't learn this in the Church of Rome. What does sola scriptura mean? That's Latin, only scripture. It's the ultimate and final authority. What does Rome teach about that? Not trying to bash any religion at all, just let's let's be candid about it though what does rome teach about authority the pope and Bishop, sorry the pope and Bishop, yes the pope and Bishop, which is the pope and Bishop. particularly church. the pope if he speaks ex cathedra the church what's the church the church and uh-huh tradition. and sorry and, traditions. and tradition okay all these are aspects of authority They're outside of the Scripture, right? They don't believe, but Paula says because she believed the Bible was the authoritative Word of God as she studied it, it gave her light and it enabled her to understand the true Gospel and what the true church is. That's great. Any other? Carla? Well, I mean, it should affect everything you
2: do in life, you know. Marriage, parenting, the way that we work, the way that we spend leisure time, relationships, it yeah.
1: should absolutely affect everything. Yeah, it's real, it's real comprehensive in that sense, isn't it? Life transformative, life directing. There is there a sphere of life that doesn't come under the authority of the Word of God. Please tell me what it is. Donna? I
0: know the Lord
2: about two years ago, really took the verse about owing no man and really laid it on my heart seriously even about our house and i don't know that mortgage is always a bad thing but just to owe no man mm-hmm. and to get all the credit card debt paid off and that about 10 years ago two years ago we decided to work and just to see how the lord blessed us with the means to do that once we we're
1: together on it and we right. it God knows it. yeah that's good that's pretty practical yeah. anything else real quickly before I give you just and, and see so you've already touched on some of my stuff here but anybody else yeah Jim
0: I think ultimately the the biggest thing is it determines your eternal destiny so uh, whether you're a believer or not you know if you're if you're even if you're an unbeliever going back to what you said earlier so what? So it, it determines where you're going to spend eternity. That's so what. That might be the biggest so what of all is whether you spend eternity in suffering in hell, or it doesn't. Going back to what I think Joe said earlier, or something you said earlier, it doesn't matter if you don't believe there's a hell. Right. Because you know, it, still it real. doesn't matter because you're gonna you're gonna experience it. So the ultimate so what is if the Bible is the authority, then there is a heaven and hell, and God is. God of both. The devil's not the God of hell. God is the God of hell. Mm. And and ultimately, you better you better come to it. I think it goes to what you just read with Moses. I set before you today life and death. You better come to grips yeah. with that because yeah. it's going to determine where you're going to end up.
1: And if you don't believe in authority, you're not going to believe anything right about your sinfulness about god's holiness about the person and work of jesus about the necessity to repent about the necessity to trust in christ you're just going to reject it as an authority and go your own way and be autonomous and go to hell that's exactly right and you know what jim that that should have been my number one on my list i didn't honestly i did not think of that i'm glad that you shared that let me just put this up on the board real quickly uh, get rid of some of this. I'm going to show you a few other things that, it, uh, with regard to the "so what" of uh, our our esteem, our conviction of the authority of Scripture. Uh, these are some things that I think it should produce in our lives. Um, it should cause us to be humble. It should cause us to be Earnest. It should cause us to be confident. It should cause us to be bold. It should cause us to be sweet. I'll tell you what what I have in mind when I say that. And it should cause us to be attractive. Some of us have that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> hasn't done much for me, right? Why didn't you just say it? <laughs> oh, you just said it. it. Didn't do much for you.
0: Um, I think the list,
1: the list could go on. But what I'm talking about, for example, uh, let's let's change some colors here. In our posture in our... I think I have spirit. What have there? In our... no. Yeah, in our study. In our knowledge. It should cause us to be bold in our witness cause us to be sweet in our spirit these are just some illustrations it should be uh, cause us to be attractive in our demeanor okay just a little some... and Jim Jim's put the big one up here with regard to salvation but if you really believe with all of your heart that this book, is absolutely authoritative over what you believe and how you should live. And you're not going to be arrogant going around and saying, I, I decide my own, on my own what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. I don't bow down to some ancient book. No. You bow before this book. You don't worship the book. You worship the God who authored it. And you're humbled and every day. You say, God, Show me truth today. I'm so ignorant. I need so much grace. So you'll be humble in your posture. You'll be earnest in your study. And I am going to come back to that. And I, I, I guess I'll just say this right now. I'm not going to come back to it. Brothers and sisters, the measure of your view of the authority of Scripture <laughs> will have an exact reflection in how much you're in the Word of God. You can say all day long, well, we're not like the Roman Catholic Church. We believe the Bible is the ultimate authority, not tradition and not the church and not the Pope. Bible! And we don't spend serious time in the Bible. Don't talk about your view of the authority of Scripture. Don't talk about it. There's a gross inconsistency between the way we live and what we say we believe. If you really believe that the Bible is authoritative, you're going to be earnest in your study. You're going to have confidence in what you believe. You're going to be bold in your witness. You're going to be sweet in your spirit. You're going to be attractive in your demeanor. You're going to be hungry and thirsty for truth. So I'm just saying I think there's a It's so easy for us to profess to believe. It's just one more of the doctrines that we happen to hold to. And I'm saying, uh, maybe you hold to it, but I'm not sure it holds to you. I think we need to just confess, God. I say that I believe in the authority of Your Scriptures, but I neglect them. What's up with that? What kind of inconsistency is that? How author? They're not so authoritative that I can't live without them. You see what I'm saying? So I just want all of us, starting with me, to look at your life right now and say, Is my, does my view of the authority of Scripture have a beautiful outworking in the way that I live? And I think we all have to say, God, have mercy on my soul. Help me to see the connection between what I really believe that this book has the right and takes the right to tell me what I must believe. Then I need to figure out what I believe based on God's revelation. This book has the right to tell me how I should live. Then I better be in this book living in it day by day. Open my eyes, praying with the psalmist that I may see wondrous things out of your law today. Transformative truths. Is the Bible transforming your life I think it is with all of our lives, particularly as we hear it preached, and and, and that's wonderful. But you see, it should have this effect upon us individually and corporately as a church. This church must be completely, perpetually devoted to the authority of Scripture. We can't just decide how we're going to run our church. The Bible tells us who should be members of a church. The Bible tells us how they should profess their faith. The Bible tells us what they must believe about the gospel. The Bible tells us how the church should be governed in terms of its officers. Tomorrow we'll be meeting in the Learning Center with the pastors again. And and many of these brothers hold to many of these things and most of these things, but some of the brothers just haven't seen it. Pray that God will help us. I I think it's interesting that they're all brothers so-and-so and and they're all pastors, but very few of those churches have elders. And I think I pointed this out on the day that Keith Withrow and Thad Gunderson were ordained because it was an observation that I made in my preparation. The word pastor is only used like two times in the New Testament. Ephesians 4 is one of them, and Peter. But you know what word is used over and over and over and over and over? Elder, elders, 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 elders. And I want to say to my brothers, do you have an eldership at your church? And and not to sit in judgment, but we don't have an option as to whether or not we have elders in a church. Because the authority of God's word says that Paul and Sil- Paul and um, Barnabas went back and ordained elders in every church. There's an S on the end of the word. There's something like a jot and a tittle. Do you believe that a church should have an elder only? Or do you believe that a biblical church has elders? I'm just using it as an illustration. So the, the authority of God's word has bearing on all of us individually and corporately as a church and your pastors are committed to keeping this church biblical there's lots of liberty there's all kinds of things that we can do that are not dictated in scripture but here's what our confession says um under scripture it says the authority of the holy scriptures obligates belief in them this authority does not depend on the testimony of any person or church but on god the author alone who is truth itself. Therefore, the Scriptures are to be received because they are the Word of God. So may the Lord help us individually and corporately to be a church that proves that we really do believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God because it was inspired by Him. We've got just a minute or two. I'd I'd be grateful if if someone would um, lead us in prayer so we can quit right at 10:15. Any Anybody, please give thanks for the authority of Scripture because it's, the, because it's rooted in the inspiration. And I'll see you, God willing, next week. Yes. Okay.
2: Father God, we thank you. We praise you for your word. Lord, thank you for giving us the truth, Lord. Thank Amen. You. We thank you so much, Lord. We all came out of darkness. Believing darkness, believing in our own idol worship, our selfishness, Lord, in the way that we handle every issue, every behavioral problem, whatever it is, Lord, it was it was what we believed in. And until Your truth was revealed to us, Lord, we we believed in that fully. And we thank you so much and praise you so much yes. for revealing the truth to us. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you for this this wonderful lesson. Thank you for this uh, this uh, this Sunday school class that we're doing right now. We pray for Pastor Ted and others who are continuing to teach us these truths out of your word, Lord. We would grasp them fully, Lord. We would want to practice them and heed the truth that you give us. Amen. Thank you
1: so much. In your precious name we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. See you next week. And if you can, try to be here at 9.15, okay? I know you can't all, but if you can, 9.15 next week.